Coming to you from Northern California. Uh, negative K, nothing further. Just, uh... This is the Shots Fired Podcast. With your hosts, Sergeant Kyle Schoberg, retired police officer Mark Redlich, and Deputy Billy. We are America's leading law enforcement resource for training and tactics from experts in the industry. Here are your hosts. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Shots Fired Podcast Special Edition. We are down here in Irvine. We've been invited by CalFIA, which is the California Force Instructors Association. Uh, they've invited us to attend their event, and we've set up our podcast booth. We've got a great guest today, and we're looking forward to it. So welcome. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. Sure. So today we have with us Marlon Marachi, retired LAPD sergeant. And we have an awesome show for you guys today. This one's actually very, very important. Uh, we're going to be discussing... What happens after you're involved in an officer-involved shooting and the steps uh, moving forward after that process? Because we all know that, you know, after you've been involved in a shooting, uh, which both of us have been involved in, um, there's a lot of unknowns and it's really scary, right? So Marlon uh, is an expert in this field. It was what he did at LAPD for a number of years, and he's going to break it all down for us. Um, A lot of education in this episode, so make sure you guys listen all the way through. Um, And again... Give CalFIA, the California Forcer, Force Instructors Association, a follow on Instagram. Check out their website. And if you guys are a cop here in California, get signed up with them. It's $100 a year. It's very cheap. It's inexpensive. You guys get awesome training. Throughout the year, they send you know updated case law. Um, they you know are constantly plugging you in with up-to-date information in the law enforcement world. So it's important. It's inexpensive. And then once a year, they do this symposium. So... This is their second one. It's a fantastic turnout. There's over 200 uh, attendees here. They've got some cool vendors. Um, so check them out. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's kick this off. So Marlon, introduce yourself. And uh, how did uh, we get here? Oh, Kyle, thank you for having me. Yeah. First and foremost, um, gosh, before we start getting on a trip down memory lane, <laughs> I, I really want to say that, you know, since I've been retired, I really felt... Um, somewhat of a demand just because uh, I really feel we're like in a crisis in terms of hiring, uh, you know, young people to do this job. One, two, we just don't do enough training. Right. We don't do enough education. So that's very, very important. I can tell you that, um, let's see. So 24 years, right? Los Angeles Police Department. I made sergeant back in 2007. So I left with 15 years when I retired two months ago as a sergeant. Uh, in the beginning, I went to the police academy. Oh gosh, I was about maybe eight months out of the Navy, and lo and behold, I you know I get the appointment. Uh, really, really weird, ex- a great experience because boot camp in the Navy, I couldn't go home. You know, I yeah. couldn't go home at all. I used to be at. Uh, uh, it was at Great Lakes, Illinois. We used to call it Great Mistakes, um, and. Even though you feel like it was a mistake, it's probably the best decision I ever made yeah, no doubt. to join the Navy. However, and, and the reason I'll bring up the Navy is because it, it, it kind of brings everything in full circle. In the Navy, and, and I won't give you a, you know, a lot of my assignments or things that I've done, but I ended up being uh, a legal man. Oh, right. And yeah, I did a lot of court martials and uh, uh-huh. non-judicial opponents. I worked, basically, I knew everybody's dirty laundry on my aircraft carrier. Wow. Wow. Yeah, which was just kind of like... You start looking at people yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. You start, well, you know everything. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. Jimmy. Yeah, dude, this guy's yeah. in trouble. <laughs> yeah. You know, this guy's doing this, this, and that. So if you fast forward from 1997, 90, 95, 96, 97, to 2022 and everything that I experienced... It's about 12 plus years of discipline, you know, with uh, the Los Angeles Police Department. And so I went to Foothill on probation, did patrol. I spent about, oh gosh, I want to say out of my 10 years, nine years uh, as a patrol officer, half of that I did in the streets. Uh, Cultural dictate you in LAPD that if, you know, you do your time in the Valley, in the San Fernando Valley, as opposed to what we used to call South Central, Mm -hmm. right? South LA. You know, guys will say, hey, man, two years in 77 division is like 
10 years yeah. at Van Nuys Division. Yeah. Just, and you know what? There is some truth to that. Yeah. Because it's very violent. I mean, you're setting up perimeters. Talk about getting police work, doing real, real true police work. You're just doing it consistently. Yeah. The frequency is really, really high. So, you know, friends joke around with you because I play soccer for the department for, you know, many years and we'll just, you know, shoot the shit around like, oh uh, yeah, you, bro, my two years in 77. Yeah. Nothing compared to uh, what you're going to over yeah. there in Van Nuys or Foothill or whatever the case may be. <laughs> um, I had a lieutenant that told me, hey, Marlon, you know what? I think it was at the, oh gosh, I want to say maybe the six or seven year mark. Hey, take the sergeant exam. I'm like, okay. And so I did and I passed. Wow. However, the list, the promotional list at the time was frozen because there was some lawsuit pending with some internal personal issues. I don't know, discrimination, unfair, you know, labor practices, whatever the case may be. And so the list didn't get certified until a year after. And so in 2005, you know, the list was up and ready. So the way it works is that if they promote one, you got to go through the entire list and you have two years to do that. Wow. 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 Yeah. So at that time, now I'm taking you to uh, 2005 to 2006. I think I was like, close to like 300, you know, from being promoted, you know, from getting the promotion. And, you know, of course, rumor you hear, they're like, dude, they're going to promote like 350 to 400 sergeants. Wow. Because it's Jeez. just because of attrition. That's crazy. You know, and there's just, it's enough supervision for you to get out there and, you know, provide that leadership, right? To get that, pro- to get that promo. Yeah. And so in January, 2007, my name was called, I get promoted. And then the list Almost went to 400 until July of 2007. Jeez. How many people were on that list total? About? I want to say, well, if you rank them, um, I want to say probably six, maybe 700 plus. <laughs> That's on a sergeant's promotion list. Yes. Put that wow. in perspective. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And, and those were the numbers back then. As Of course, you know, we can all agree that the numbers are way down, way yeah. down. Yeah. I mean, it's reduced completely just because of attrition and just because of other issues. Right. And so here I am and I go from uh, what was it? 10 Adam 87 with, you know, an A car with my partner on a Friday. And then come Monday, I'm at Pacific division in patrol as 14 L 60 working nights. And I'm like, okay, you know, here I am in, in charge, <laughs> in charge, yeah. you know, yeah. and I, I remember, you know, just, as a war star, I remember once um, we were so short and it was an exchange. I was in day watch. I think it was, it was an exchange of watch. And I was by LMU, which is a major university, like at the complete West side of the division. And I'm doing traffic, you know, um, enforcement, you know, I got the, the flares oh, yeah. because it was a major TC. And then I hear, Hey, we need a supervisor request. Yeah. 415 group gangs, whatever, all the way out by Venice. And so it's five o'clock and I'm driving like in the middle of the island with my lights on just to get there. And after like maybe 35, 40 minutes, I get there like, hey, Sarge, go for it. We don't need you anymore. Oh, you're all, <laughs> thanks <Okay>. guys. <laughs> when I made Sergeant, it's really where it all pretty much, and you can relate to this, is that the impact of you providing that leadership yes. is pretty much the light turns on. Because mm-hmm. now at the time, a lot of my classmates and my partners were reaching that level. Mm-hmm. You know, some have reached even higher. So when I walk into a roll call, I don't know many officers, you know, because, you know, there's been promotions yeah. and people want to, you know, they want to promote and provide that leadership, I suppose. So it's very minimum, very minimal if you see like, you know, someone you work for uh, five or six years ago or something like that. And so for me learning, you know, how to be out there and look, you know, back in the days, they didn't used to call it command and control. Um, command and control didn't come in, I'm just giving an example, until 2013 is when it really, oh, this is the, but this is command and control. Mm-hmm. But back then, it's basically lack of supervisory oversight, right? Yeah. So if you're at a scene, you know what? You wanna start formulating plans and delegating and really getting a scene set yeah. to see exactly what it is that you need to do, you know, in order to affect an arrest, whatever the case may be. And so that's where I learned a lot of my experience. And then at that time, I want to say I was finishing my undergrad and, you know, like any other cop, I just, I just wanted to get my master's in criminal justice, you know, 
Easy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's easy. It's not hard. And then my best friend and my brother, who's been an attorney since 1998, he, he told me, Hey, you know what? You got to go to law school. You have to go to law school. I'm like, I don't want to go to law school. That's too hard. It's just, there's <laughs> just no way. Yeah. And one thing led to another. And here I am, you know, taking the uh, LSAT. Um, and at that time I was transitioning from a community program in South Bureau into the discipline world. So that's where I ended up in officer rep section. Hmm. So I got accepted to, uh, to a small school here out in Long Beach. And, you know, here we are uh, uh, four, almost five years later and got my degree uh, and, you know, I graduated law school. Now, in those four years, I ended up as a defense rep, which we'll talk a lot about what the duties and responsibilities are of a defense rep. Um, when you roll out to these... Uh, Categorical uses of forces, obviously OIS is being the most popular because mm -hmm. they happen more often than not, right? And I ended up in internal affairs. Uh, so I went from officer rep session to the defense rep. I did an admin appeal hearing. The lieutenant, you know, said I was very professional, very ethical, took a liking to me. And he said, hey, listen, we have a Sergeant 2 spot. It's kind of like a promotion. So if you, from Sergeant 1 to Sergeant 2, I don't know if you noticed, but they have like a rocker, yeah. right? So, you know, hey, it's five and a half percent, you know, I'm all for it. Yeah. And he said, look, because of your experience, I'll bring you right up here at the advocate section, which is just sergeants putting on border rights hearings. And we'll get into that. And he basically said, you, you know, you don't have to go and do investigations. So I'll just bring you right up here and you can start doing boards and admin appeals. So, you know what? A whole bunch of us went to the interview and they offered me the job and I stay there for about four close to five years. And in those five years, it's when you, I really realized how important discipline and misconduct really is. I say that in the sense that when you are a watch commander or when you are doing police functions, what you're probably gonna deal with the most mm -hmm. is people. Yeah, It's your subordinates, right? It's, it's everyone. You're gonna get a phone call something happened, you know, out at a radio call or something happened at home or there's something going on internal in your workplace. That happens more often than in certain divisions, right? Uh, then getting involved, you know, in, in an OIS, you know, getting involved in a major critical incident. So for me, I gained so, it afforded me so much experience to know what to do <laughs> and seriously what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so that's the important part, and and that's the important part, and we'll get into that. Is yeah. that um, a lot of the times, in my experience with my beloved LAPD, you're going to get scrutinized and criticized, and pretty much judged on the things that you didn't do, mm -hmm. as opposed to the things that you did. Yeah, it just happens more often, and that's where I gained the experience. So, uh, let's see. Um, after internal affairs, I did a tour in media as a PIO another huge eye opener, you know, I really feel, um, and, and we'll get into, you know, what I'm trying to accomplish here in this, what yeah. I thought was a podcast and yeah. turns out to be a show. I truly feel that we don't do enough, yeah. which is the reason why we're all here. We just don't do enough to inform our audience, whether it's a community member, whether it's a young cop, a retired cop, whoever to listen what we actually do. So I cannot even thank you enough for having me as a guest, but just appreciative that anyone who is doing this type of podcasting yeah. is so, so important. I, I, I think uh, it doesn't happen because so many cops are afraid to do it. You know, like you're, you're always taught like your whole career, you know, to kind of live in the shadows and, you know, you don't really discuss what we do at work uh, with anybody um, other than other officers. Um, and bringing a lot of this stuff to, to the limelight, you know, like officer involved shootings, uses of force, stuff like that. Like nobody ever really talked about it. It was never really a thing to talk about. And so we've had some people tell us like doing this show, like, Oh, you guys are kind of crazy for putting yourself out there a little bit. And, you know, we thought about it and we had that, this discussion and it's like, well, people need to hear it and other cops need to hear it. And if we have any type of experience that we can pass on to, to other cops and like, we're going to do that. Um, because really at the end of the day, it's just making other cops better. And it's informative to the, to the average citizen who knows nothing about our job, maybe listening to something like this or hearing what you have to say, 
maybe they're going to watch something on TV or on a body cam footage on YouTube or something. And then maybe they can process it a little better and have a little bit of uh, better understanding of like what we do. If, if I may touch on what you said, uh, what you just said right now is that unfortunately, you know, we can all agree is what they call organizational culture. Mm-hmm. It's what we call cop culture. Yeah. And cop culture kind of dictates, you know, what you do and you don't do. Yeah. And it's one of those things where, like you said, we don't talk about stuff like that because that's just the way culture is. And you know what? Uh, I tip my hat off to both of you for, you know, moving forward and, you know, and kind of break that culture, you know, so to speak for, for, for a good cause, for a good reason. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate it. And we've talked about it often. A lot, a lot of stuff that we notice, especially with the office involved shootings, which we'll, we'll kind of dissect here in a sec. There's no real open discussions in the, in the, in the apartments about what is the process if you are involved in one in the process, when you do find out it's already too late. And then we were talking pre-show after the fact, what is the officers that are not involved in the shooting that are just walking around the station? What education are they getting? How do they interact with somebody? So can you really walk us through with your experience in investigating and tell us how many you've done? What happens once someone's involved in a shooting in the whole process? Right. So um, as a defense rep in officer rep section, our primary duties are to roll out, right, to these officer involved shootings. They're, they're called categorical uses of force. So you guys like a mobile unit? We're a mobile unit. Yeah, we're okay. on call. Right, okay. The attorney's on call, and so are we. Okay. Uh, the attorney rolls out because their primary right. responsibility, legal responsibility, yeah. is to represent the officer uh, when they're going to get the compelled interview from internal affairs, right? And so our job is to work together and to identify and to really start preparing this process by which... For whatever reason, LAPD um, really stepped it up. And I'm taking you back to like 2008, 2007, where they really cast a really wide net to identify, you know, who's going to be involved? What are we going to find out about this? Because it's part of the investigation. And so what happens is, is that as a defense rep, you're going to be working with the attorney. You're going to identify the partner officer, right? You have to identify and prep the public safety statement, um, which, you know, we'll get into a little bit, the sergeant that's at scene, because he or she is what? They have a lot of plate spinning, right? Yeah. Uh, okay, who, you know, who's a shooter? Identify the shooters. I got to separate, monitor you, you know, but I got to get resources. I got to get a sergeant to monitor you. I got to sergeant to monitor you as well. Okay, who used non-lethal? All right, when you got to go over here, who heard it? I did. Okay, then you over here, who heard and saw it? We did too. So now you have this like methodical way of Mm -hmm. approaching um, this incident. And the first thing right off the bat is the whole, everybody's coming, you know that. Everybody's coming. Unfortunately, in today's OIS, it's not just the inspector general that's coming. It's like the the attorney general Mm -hmm. is coming. And we can all agree that in today's OIS, and, and, and I say this candidly, that you're maybe, I'm not saying that you will, but maybe you got some criminal filings mm-hmm. that are in discussion, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Where 10 years ago- Not even talked about. That wasn't even the case. Yeah. And I can tell you from experience, rolling out of you know numerous of these OISs, is that for the most part, the actual pulling the hammer or you know engaging in that deadly force- for the most part, while on duty, it's going to be in policy. Where the problem lies, I shouldn't say the problem, where the challenge lies the most is everything that led up to the time that you actually engaged, right? So that's always up for what? Scrutiny yeah. to pass judgment. And, and you know this. Yeah. However, the scope is pretty narrow. The scope is extremely narrow if you get involved in an OIS off duty. That is because if you really think about it, what set of standards are we going to be judging? Yeah. You know, I, this officer, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't have your uniform. You don't have, you know, all your utilities. You don't have non-lethal. You can't even ask for non-lethal. Yeah. You know, nowadays, you know, you, you got to have non-lethal. You can't, maybe you deescalate. I don't know if you're at a bar, yeah. you know. <laughs> you try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're drunk and you know, yeah. hey, you, whatever, and you, you start getting into it. So a lot of these 
standards you know, of issues that I'm gonna be reviewing and passing judgment on, they're just not really there. Yeah. And to this very day, that's a tough thing to do. As a command staff officer in a panel and you're reviewing all this, you're like, you know, how do I, how do I judge this? Do I say it's in policy or, do, or is it an administrative disapproval? Yeah. So, so anyways, the shooting in it itself, for the most part, it, it's, it's pretty right on, right? The problem is, is that the process by which we go to, um, sometimes it's very lengthy, right? And what happens is after you identify the PSS and the sergeant to ask your question mark, then we start prepping for the interview. Pre-body worn video, we used to do a lot of walkthroughs. So for example, um, we go back to the station. I say, hey, review some policy. This is gonna happen. This is the things that they're gonna ask you. When we go back, we're gonna do a walkthrough. Well, what's a walkthrough? Well, a walkthrough is basically, you're, you're talking about positioning, mm-hmm. right? So they grab like a cardboard circle plate, you know, and they start identifying, okay, Mark. So, all right, you know what? I'm compelling you to tell me, you know, uh, uh, what happened when you when you arrived at the incident? Um, uh, will you give us a statement? You say, yes, you know, the attorney's there, I'm there, and we start doing the walkthrough. So now you're gonna tell me, okay, Mark, you know, when you saw, well, when did you first see the suspect? Well, I saw him here at a Western direction. All right, cool. And so each substantially involved officer or sergeant, right, or whoever, is gonna get that particular walkthrough. However, when body-worn video came into effect about 2015, 2016, Mm -hmm. you know, we try to get better practices. So now everybody kind of gathers around and sees the shooting officer's body-worn video. And if you really pan, if you can really identify where all the position is for everybody, then you don't have to go through all that, right? And then after the walkthrough comes, you know, the compelled interview. And that interview in it itself, it is super, super detailed, frame by frame, second by second. And you, I mean, we go to, tell me, you know, when you were in roll call. Yeah, that's that's how we do it. The start of your day. What you guys discuss? You know, in those days, uh, well, you know, it was an immediate sense of my life and I engaged, you know what? Yeah, that those doesn't fly anymore. That, we can all agree you yeah. know, into that. So then you do the compelled interview, then at the eighth or the nine month mark from the incident, uh, they have a use of force review board. It's comprised of a uh, five panel member, right? You have uh, four command staff officers and a peer member. So for example, if the shooter was a sergeant, that peer member has to be a sergeant. Uh-huh. If the shooter was an FTO, that peer mm. member has to be an FTO. If the shooter was just a police officer, what we call a P2, then that uh, peer member has to be a P2. Decades of this process um, pretty much uh, hasn't changed to this very day. You know, I mean, personally, um, I think we can do better, you know, in yeah. terms of how can we get the officer more engaged into, hey, this is what I was thinking right? This is what was going through my mind, but it's not like that because a captain, a commanding officer of that division will do the presentation along with the lead investigator. So it's kind of, and then everybody's in the room, you can imagine, right? You're watching body worn video, you're watching this whole incident. And in my experience, I always thought to myself, why do we have two entities kind of overlapping each other? Yeah. Right? Because Ultimately, the captain is pretty much telling the board, hey, look, this is how I examine it. This is how I analyze it. And now I'm going to give you, I'm going to render a recommendation, right? And that recommendation is just three categories. Uh, the first one is drawn exhibiting, right? Uh, the policy used to be what? If, you, if the situation escalates to the point where you're going to be using serious bodily injury or, you know, or deadly force, then you can break leather mm-hmm. is what we call that, Right. Nowadays, I think it's changed. I think it's necessary and yeah. it's gotta be last resort, something along those lines. So if you recall, and I'm sure you know this, is that you know, you, you've you been at a scene where there's a whole bunch of black and whites and the suspect is downrange and everybody's by the car, you know, and they got their gun out, yeah. and, you know, hanging, you know, and some are like this and this, this and that. In today's LAPD, you're gonna, you, 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 you might get ding, you know, wow. because, oh, well, wow. yeah, I mean, you, I mean, low ready is low ready, yeah. right? When you break leather, you're at low ready. If you're part of the arrest team or you're part to, you know, go and affect that arrest, then you're good. But if you're in the back of the car, just, you know, yeah. doing this number, mm. 
so that number. It's very controlled. It, they try to make it a very controlled environment on the scene. One, two, if you have 15 guns pointed. Right. And that makes sense. Makes total then, sense. Yeah. I mean, you look, you know, if you're up for scrutiny and, you know, some, um, you know, some judgment, you know, you can do, make things better, you know, but the problem is, is that culture kind of dictates what, no, you know, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't do anything wrong, which probably is the case, yeah. but we're just trying to tell you that, you know what, this is just a better way to practice. Yeah. Because God forbid, you know, I know you have your finger, uh, you know, on the slide on the side of the frame, but you, you just never know. Mm-hmm. So I can kind of understand it. So that's yeah. drawn exhibiting Yeah, tactics. And I'm sure I'm speaking for everyone speaking in your audience is substantial deviation from department policy and procedure with justification. Look, anything and everything that you do at a scene of a critical incident, mm-hmm. and you know, this is you're going to get scrutinized. Yep. Now, can you deviate? Absolutely. But you know what? You better have a really good reason yeah. why you're yeah. going to be deviating. You better justify Cause if you don't, then you're looking at an administrative disapproval. So that administrative disapproval, uh, three things can happen. One, you just get a common card, right? Hey, you know, next time, you know, don't do something like that. Yeah. Two, a notice to correct. That's like a deficiency. Mm-hmm. You know, you're deficient in this. And three, it could be an IA. It's what we call cutting a face sheet. You're facing some disciplinary issues because it was real. I mean, bro, yeah. you substantially deviated like real, real bad, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And it happens, right? I, uh, <laughs> I think some of the people listening are probably thinking like, wow, that's like a huge, um, uh, I don't know, I don't know like a big to do, right? Cause LAPD is such a big agency and they have all those resources to do all those things. And, but I think it's important for, for everybody to understand too, that just because you don't work at LAPD and don't have all those extra resources, like some of those things are still happening behind the scenes, maybe just not like, like that. Right. Correct. But like at these smaller to medium sized agencies, those conversations are still being had by probably captains, lieutenants, sergeants. Um, there's still some type of oversight. Um, and those, like he said, if you're going to deviate from something like, man, you better explain why, um, you're, you're still facing discipline if, if you can't explain that. Absolutely. I think for any small agency, for any other agencies besides my beloved LEPD, look, if you're, you know, if you're listening to this, you know, and that's, this is your train of thought, like, look, you know what? I know I'm going to do this, you know, okay, we're going to, you know, we're going to approach, you know, and if I can keep in my mind, look, I got to be able to justify, you know, whatever your policy may be, right. This is part of your use of force policy, but absolutely, you know, I think it has major impact, you know, for some education. Right. And then last but not least is, is the use of deadly force Uh, that in and itself look, by the time you engage, obviously imminent, Mm -hmm. right. Uh, Immediate defense of life you engage and, you know, and, and, and here we are, you know, we deal with the consequences afterwards. So that's pretty much the process at the eight month mark. Uh, if it comes back all in policy and by the way, uh, you're always going to get extensive training. You're going to go to tactical debriefs, you know, to learn yeah. lessons learned and all that. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much, you know, the, uh, the process by which back in 2007, I actually attended and what we call force investigation division. It's a, it's an FID school. It's a three day school where they teach you kind of like the, you know, little summary that I just gave you. And at the time, I want to say the room was filled. There must've been like 80 plus uh, students in the room from like 30 or 40 different agencies. So you could imagine that was back in 2008. Yeah. Uh, you know, here we are 14 years later. And I know that, you know, we're, we're, we're all about learning and getting growth and, you know, it's gotten better, mm-hmm. but we, sort of have that model where other big agencies, you know, want to follow. And like you said, just because, you know, you're a small agency, I mean, you can't do that. It it is being talked about. Yeah. But if you can just get in your mind and program yourself to look, you know, everything that I'm going to do here, you know, I'm down, I'm going to do it. That's fine. Engage, go and do what you have to do to Mm -hmm. stop the threat, to affect an arrest, prevent that escape, whatever the case may be. But just keep in mind that if you decide to deviate, you're good, bro. You're okay. Right. But you better be able to justify it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, that's where cops fall short, you know, because like you said earlier back in the day, like you didn't really have to explain the why. Um, Now it's in law. Like you have to explain the why, at least here in California. So 
that's why I think if you're a supervisor or even if you're an officer out there, man, you, you're on these scenes that are kind of rapidly evolving. Like you, you got to start game planning this stuff, like arrest teams, you know, who, who's going to be uh, at the command post and who's dictating what the tactics are going to be for this particular call. Because if you just have everybody doing what they want to do, it, it just becomes absolute chaos. Um, and then you run into issues like this. Absolutely. When you're being sat down in an interview room in front of, you know, detectives or an IA investigator, how do you answer that? Yeah. Very, very good. How point. do you explain yourself? I mean, there's, you don't have an answer. Right. There, there's, I guess what I'm looking at too is if you're listening to this and you're part of a smaller agency, what could you do to really help and prevent these incidents of the unknowns? So really I would like, at least from the agency that I came from it to be very public and very open amongst officers and command staff of if you're involved in this type of an incident, this is what you can expect. So then if it happens, you're not already freaked out because of the incident and now you're freaked out of what happens after. And with all of your experience that you've had, what is something that just one thing that you can offer that would help these officers, young officers understand like what could happen? One of the things that I would recommend uh, for small agencies, you know what there's, I mean, come on YouTube, there's so much body worn video. Yeah. That is that's money, dude. Mm -hmm. That's gold. You know what? Go to roll call. Take a little longer. I mean, you know, yeah. we're working where, you know, I don't mean to bash, you know, a certain, you know, any city, but there's some cities that are probably not, yeah. you know, have really high crime. Yeah. Right. Where you got to go out there and, you know, suit up and, you know, go start upon the radio calls and just take the time. You know what? Have a sergeant go out there and say, okay, today we're going to watch body worn video of this OIS. Yeah. We're going to break this down. Right. And don't just be the, you know, like Scott likes to say, which is so spot on. Don't be the death by PowerPoint guy. Yeah. You know, or don't just, you know, go into, don't check the boxes. Don't go and log on to your little computer, you know, yeah. and just say, oh, okay. We do that too. We're like that. Scott really, I mean, really surprised me to know. I listened to Scott so much when I went to go visit him um, and, and watch him train. My first phone call right out of, uh, after I met him, I called my nephew who's got four years on, he's working gangs in North Hollywood. Oh, nice. My first question was, hey, Neff, what was the last time you had training? And he goes, hey, Unc, I haven't had training over, I mean, it's, I've been three years, just last week, finally Metro came and we started doing some building searches and God damn, that's tactics. crazy. Yeah. And, and we're talking about- But everyone's guilty of that. Like my own agency is guilty of that. And, and we're and, talking about LAPD. Yeah. yeah. It's huge. I know. So, and I know everyone listening to that is going, is sitting, you guys are sitting in your car or wherever you're at and you're going, we have, we don't train either. We don't have that. Yeah, we have that same does. problem, we you know? We don't. Yeah. And I know a lot of it comes down to staffing and logistics and all that, but should that be an excuse for providing training for somebody that's responsible for the highest of an incident can go? I mean, well, that's why we constantly talk about the importance of doing a lot of talking scenario discussions amongst yourself, seeking out yeah. training. Cause you have to do it. You know, the departments are only going to give you the bare minimum and that's fine. That's a starting point, but you should constantly be trying to grow your own portfolio of training. And oh, the, absolutely. And there's so much of it out there, you know, like Savage Training Group, right? And uh, you're getting plugged in with them and dude, there, it's just everywhere. Like there's training everywhere. I, I also say like, hey, make sure you vet out some of the training that you're going to go to because some, uh, some instructors probably, um, you know, we've all been to bad training, right? That's all I'll say about that. But um, it's there. And even if you had to pay out of pocket 125 bucks, $100 to go to your own training, like I would say, do it. You know, yeah. if the department doesn't want to pay you to do it because they don't have the money, pay for your, for yourself. You're investing in your own self. Like don't expect Absolutely. someone to invest in you. You have to invest in yourself. Yeah. And then the, our union actually reimburses you if you actually go to training, which is even most great, of, right? Yeah. What I've realized as I've gone to this podcast tour, you know, guest appearances and meeting Scott and seeing training, what I realized is that we are such in a crisis, um, in terms of just even getting people to get interested, to even do this I know. profession. I, I know. mean, I think back 25 years ago, there used to be a thousand applicants a month. Mm -hmm. Imagine that, a thousand a month, and they only took the best 5%. That gets you to 50. From the best 5%, they only took the best 50%. That yeah. gets you to 25. Out of the best 25, they only get you the best 50%. 
So that gets you down to 14 yeah. and then they only took like 20%. So basically you're looking at, and it's a vetting really good background, you know, investigation, a good background process. But today, I mean, I don't know the numbers. Don't quote me on this. Don't say, hey, Sergeant Marat, you said, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm retired, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But I wouldn't even, probably in LA, maybe three, 400 if that, you know. Um, so yeah. the point I'm trying to make is that that crisis just to get on causes what? It has an adverse effect on the ones that are working mm -hmm. in patrol out in the streets. And what are they doing? They're working their asses off. Yeah. One, two, if you're anything like me, depending on supplemental income, I've worked overtime for 20 years, six, seven days a week. And you know what? It cost me a lot. Mm -hmm. It cost me a divorce, not time away from my daughter. It has its own personal consequences. But if you want the nice house, you want to keep your family at home, you want the boat, you want the trips, that's fine. But the problem is, is that you're gone. Yeah. six, seven days a week, right? So then you ask yourself, okay, there's a crisis. It's got this adverse effect. Well, where are you going to find time to actually train? Because the little time that you have, you should be able to spend it with your family. You should want to spend it with your family. Yeah. That has to change, right? And so when you have, like yourselves, doing this, yeah. Scott doing what he's doing, and just a host of people doing what I call, this is God's word, this is good word because we need it, mm -hmm. you know, and it's so, so important, and it, you know, and you know, I'm, that's why I'm on board and, you know, hopefully we can, uh, you know, get better at what we do because things are changing. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and not in a good way. Um, and you know what, that's why we do this podcast. We already talked about it earlier, but it's like this, this is training, like just sitting in your patrol car. If you're listening to this or watching it on YouTube, at work, like this is training, you're getting knowledge, you know, you're getting experience just through listening to a, to a podcast, you know, which is great. But, um, I wanted to touch real quick. I kind of wanted to circle back to, to the officer involved shooting thing. Um, I wanted to touch on this and that is we just, we talked about, you know, if, if you're involved in a shooting, you can expect for sure to get an attorney like that day, you're going to have an attorney at the station. So you can for sure expect that. Um, I highly suggest if your agency is doing interviews the day of, the shooting or even probably 24 hours after the fact, I, I highly suggest not doing that. Um, I strongly suggest you allow that officer to get at least two or three days of a sleep cycle um, to be able to actually remember more of what occurred. Um, you know, there is such thing as critical stress amnesia and you know, you do blackout, well, I shouldn't say blackout, but your brain blacks out some of the things that happened during the event. And you are not going to remember everything that happened from A to Z. You may walk away from a shooting thinking it just happened. I'm going to be able to tell, tell you from A to Z exactly what happened and why I did what I did. And that is completely false. It's inaccurate. Very few people can probably do that. And why is that so important? Because we just sat here and talked about um, explaining the why and, you know, why you did what you did and yeah. explaining every single thing that you did, even throughout the day leading up to using the deadly force. Um, you have to remember all that to the best of your ability and really articulate it. And that's just not something that you can do after being involved in an, in an incident like that. There's a lot of chemicals your body's releasing, um, your brain, right? Does its own thing and it goes into self survival mode. Um, there's just a lot of things that go on. And I just, I, I hear of agencies doing that where, you know, the day of the incident, Mark, I think when you were in your shooting, you interviewed that same day, correct? Yeah. I think I took my interview at like 1130 or just after midnight when I was in the shooting at 630 PM. Right. And, and been up for 12 hours already. So 18 hours in. So why, I don't understand why we're doing that to our own people. And, and, you know, a lot of it probably comes down to, to just education, right. And, and the investigators and, you know, the captains and stuff like they're probably just thinking, well, you were just in it. You can remember what happened. Just let's just get it over with. Right. No, we can't do that anymore. Like you have to give yourself some time to be able to let your brain reprocess what happened. Remember the event to the best of your ability and then give an accurate statement. And the other thing that scares me about that is what do you think cops are going to do when they're giving their statement and they don't exactly remember what happened? Fill what do you the think gap. they're going to do? They fill the gap. They're going to fill the gap. And guess what? Once you've given that statement and you think you have filled that gap of what happened and, and maybe it didn't. And now that's on body cam. You, you can't undo that. So Absolutely. 
I, you I know, know that was long winded, but I, I like I, it. I no. really want to hit home yes, for you guys listening to this, that if, listen, if you're involved in a shooting and your agency wants you to do an interview that day, I would strongly encourage you to tell them no. You, the ball's in your court. It's your statement. You have that discussion with your attorney. Hopefully they step in uh, and you just let your department know, know hey, I'm, I'm going to provide you a statement. Okay. Um, I want two to three days sleep cycle period. And the ball's in your court. Yeah. And cops fail to understand that, that the ball's in their court. Right. Because culture dictates that, you know, Hey, you know what? I, I got to do this. You know, right. I have to do this. I got to cooperate. I got to cooperate. I'm just a, you know, only got two years on, but you know, I didn't, I didn't. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, and I totally get I do, it. I don't want to tell my attorney, you know, cause I don't want to be look like, like, you know, like if I don't say anything tonight, then it's going to look like, yeah, yeah like I, you're withholding yeah, something like, or yeah. you don't want to cooperate. So, yeah. So what happens is you're right. It's got all these emotional, yeah. um, uh, sort of, you know, um, like tie, like, yeah. Yeah. It's got an <laughs> emotional tie into how you're going to approach this yeah. because you don't want to be that cop, right? You don't want to be that person. That's the culture. And, and that, that goes has to, to change. Exactly. That's all about yeah. culture. Interesting. You say that because one of my guests that came out on the uh, podcast show talked about the neurological. Yeah. I thought he, he explained, well, of course he did it in a very more yeah. way that I did it, where if you sleep, what happens is your mind, your programming of the event, yeah. yep. it starts registering. Mm-hmm. It starts pulling all this data. And then when you're fresh, you're able to do so now. We do, what we do is we watch body-worn video. Obviously, we watch body-worn video and we'll tell yeah. you, hey, scrub, do what you have to do to prepare yourself. And we'll do that. But I couldn't agree with you more, Kyle. I really honestly feel that sometimes, and there has been on one occasion, I, all the OSs I rolled out where we're doing the walkthrough and he's just, the officer's like, well, you know what? Uh, I kind of remember if, you know, he was just really unsure and, I had to tell the guy, yeah, no, we're stopping no this. Go. We're done. Yeah, this you, guy you, needs to go home and gonna rest because he's been up for eighteen hours. He's been up for twenty eight hours. Yeah, you're gonna get out of twenty eight hours. Well, you're stressed out already, and then you have to sit through an interview. Yeah, and that in itself is yeah. stressful. I, I remember one one of my, I think it was my the second shooting I was in. Um, I knew obviously I'm shoulder to shoulder with with one other shooter, but there was another shooter next to us, and they when they asked, hey, who was the shooter at the end of the scene? me and this other guy raise our hand. Oh, we are. And this other guy raised his hand, this other officer. And I looked and I'm like, holy shit, you were, I didn't even know you were standing next to me. I mean, I didn't even know the guy was next to me because not because I'm an idiot and wasn't paying attention. It's because at that moment in time, my brain did not care who's sitting next to me. All my brain cared about was the threat, right? And so that tunnel vision kicks in and that's okay. In that moment, the tunnel vision is okay. In in a deadly force encounter, you want your brain to hyper-focus on the gun that the guy's holding or the knife or or whatever, right? Um, I didn't care about the the cops standing right next to me, but I didn't know that. And, And, but when you tell somebody that they're like, you didn't know that he was standing next to you? No, I had no fucking, I had no idea. And I had no idea that he even fired his gun. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just powerful, right? Like, yeah. The, I mean, we could go on forever on this conversation, the, the officer involved shooting stuff, but um, God damn, it's so important that it gets talked about and the education is there because man, like nobody discusses it. Yeah. Interesting. You say that my, uh, my guest yesterday was a good buddy of mine. We shoot every Wednesday nights um, for, for the show. And it was uh, the suspect hijacked an MTA bus. Oh shoot. And the bus, they were on pursuit for like, I don't know, two miles or something like that. It was long. It wasn't that long, but it's to him, it seems so long. Oh, yeah. And so the bus runs a red light and plows into um, a woman in a van. She unfortunately passed away and a UPS truck, right? And of course, this event's happening to him as he's seen it. And the suspect from the front wheel should gets out and starts running. So now you're in foot pursuit. Yeah. And he engages four rounds, one of them grazed. And you know, everybody's there now. And so he goes back to tell his sergeant, this goes to your point and says, hey, Sarge, you know, I, 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 I'm a shooter. I got involved in the OIS. The sergeant's like, what, what, what do you mean? You actually were the one? He goes, yeah. He goes, I shot. Yeah. I'm one of the, in no way. He goes, yeah, that, that it happened. You yeah. know, so the point I'm trying to raise is that everything that's happening right there and then 
again, it's just uh, it's tunnel vision, and mm-hmm. you have so much going on that um, it's it's a very powerful event. I think yeah. you said it best. Yeah, and it's okay too. You don't remember everything; it's totally fine. It's like you go to court and they ask you a question on the stand, and you, you just flat out don't remember. Right? It, it, is it okay to just say I don't recall? Absolutely. It's okay. What is not okay is for you to fill in the gap and then make something up. And then that doesn't compute with what's on the body cam. And then it, then it looks like you're lying. So that's why I just think all this stuff is important. I think the conversation is important. Um, I wish departments would get better at, you know, doing these types of things. Um, I I can, I'll speak for my department. They have gotten very good at handling these because you know, we, we get them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, people need to jump on board with this conversation. Well, I think what we need to do is have another episode. And I think everyone that's listening can look forward to that where we really break down all aspects of an officer involved shooting, really yeah. dig into that and give our examples and stuff. But to go back to you, you have a new path and adventure going right now. Do you want to talk, tell us about yeah, that? Let's yeah, let's talk, talk about that. Let's talk about internal affairs, right? That's, uh, <laughs> I, I've realized, yeah, that's, oh my gosh, the dark side. You know, Scott and I were talking, he's like, hey, you know, come up with these learning First and foremost, I, I even appreciate uh, Scott for even giving me a, a shot to, you know, to really share my experience. Yeah, uh, one, because what I really realized, and, you know, Scott and I kind of on board is it's an untapped subject. I think we can agree. Mm-hmm. Not many, there's not many guests that are going to come here and tell you about internal affairs. Right? <laughs> and, and probably not a cop's like, I want to go to that class. Yeah, I well, go we to had that. one in our academy. Right. I mean, that right. did say that's where he wanted to work. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And he never did. Yeah. Right. And then the other issue is, is that, okay, so here you are in IA, you know, what did you, what did you do? What is it like? Right. Or, you know, I was fortunate to be an advocate. It's what they call an advocate. I pretty much, I remember when Lieutenant goes, Hey Marlon, you know, when you come here, don't think of it as a prosecutorial role, you know, cause you're going to get, you know, it's going to be very emotional. And by the way, it's probably the most emotional position I ever had in the absent abuse child unit which I would, I never even thought of doing. No, yeah, me either. this is probably the most emotional because you're on a roller coaster and you're watching an officer lose it all. They're, they're about to get fired. And I beg to defer. It is a prosec- It is a prosecutorial role. Um, my job is to pretty much prove to the board that, you know what? We have preponderance. We have 51% more likely than not that he's a liar that he lied. Yeah. And he's going to get fired. Whatever you guys decide to do in penalty, that's on you. But my job is to present all the facts and evidence. Now, with that being said, our IOs are just, that's the problem. We just don't really do a good job in protecting or getting to the truth, Mm. right? We don't. Why? Because there's egos involved and things get personal. Mm -hmm. It's just, that is the honest truth. My theory and my model has always been no stone goes unturned. And that's the way you should treat even the most minute, you know, type of, you know, complaint. I was at a traffic stop and he pulled up his sunglasses and he stared at me wrong. Right. And he did this, this and that. Well, then go do your job as an IO and just turn every stone and follow it. The problem is, is that it's IA, I get weekends off you know, I get a little lazy. I don't do what I'm supposed to do. So my job as an advocate is to pretty much put on these border rights hearings. So what is a border rights hearing? Well, the border rights was, um, adopted back in the sixties. I believe Lieutenant Parker, who was a JAG in the Navy, uh, decided when he left the Navy and became chief of police in the early sixties. And pretty sure we can all, we all know that in LA hmm. confidential, right? Yeah. In the sixties, this department was probably the most corrupt department in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so horrible. So yeah. he's like, you know what? The light bulb, he's like, you know what? Maybe I should bring this border inquiry process here because I want to make sure that you're being judged by your own peers. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're going to have a defense and you're going to have a prosecutor. They're going to be your peers and you're going to have a three panel, three panel member. It's going to be comprised of two command staff officers and a civilian. And we're going to go to trial and this is what you're going to do, right? Uh, You're going to plead. Obviously you're going to plead not guilty. Um, Opening arguments. You're going to bring in evidence to, you know, to examine. You're going to bring testimony uh, to hear. Uh, You're going to do, you're going to rest. 
defense puts on their case, they do the same thing. Now you do closing arguments, voila, we're done, right? Now they're gonna deliberate. Yeah, it's court. They're gonna deliberate and come up. If you're found guilty on one allegation, one charge, you will go to penalty phase. When you get to the penalty phase, you do a package review, right? And you bring in character witnesses. Now I can tell you that in my experience, especially in the penalty phase, I never really saw the needle kind of move. You know, in a sense, and and again, I'll give you some examples of something that's pretty ethical, right? It's one of the allegations is one of the four prongs of misconduct is what Cuba is what we call conduct unbecoming. What that means is that the reflection has to be so negative on you, the department and the public where it's so bad, that's misconduct. So I got to do an eye, I got to cut a face sheet. Mm. So something like that, right? That you were found guilty for. You bring in some good character witnesses. You bring a lieutenant, even a command staff officer says, hey, you know what, Kyle, look, I understand what Kyle did, right? I, I get it, but you know what? That doesn't define him, you know? That was an aberration, right? And for me, he can work for me anytime, any day, and I need him out there, you know? And he's just a stellar guy, right? Parts of the Red Seas, the best things in sliced bread. Hmm. And you'll see the needle move. And maybe you'll get less suspension. Maybe you're not looking at removal or termination, you know? So for me in this particular assignment, the best bang for your buck as an advocate is what? It's a false statement. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's a, uh, or a misleading statement, perjury, really bad stuff because we can all agree. You don't want a bad actor on your No, you don't. don't, you yeah, don't, no. you don't want to work with a liar. Yeah, and, I agree. You know, and, and that's the honest truth. So, I've done about 25 plus of these. I've done, I've done 30. Well, I prepped for like 40 of them. Some settled. But out of the 30 that I have done, right, just to give an example, five of them were righteous, legitimate termination. So those are good numbers then. I, I look at that as decent numbers. I mean, of that many, that low of guys that are righteously not being honest that deserve to get fired. Yes. And so the bigger picture is what? What happens to those 25? Yeah. Right. And that's where I find myself. And I can tell you with just on a personal note, not so much professional is that we just don't, you know what? That's what gives IA internal affairs just such a bad rap Mm -hmm. because, you know, now for a young officer that needs to hear all this. And, you know, these are the kind of things we're going to be talking about in this class is that it's, it's a, it's a really good, powerful message. I'm not telling you to cut corners. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling you to, you know, uh, hey, if you do this, you're going to end up doing that. But what I'm telling the audience is like, look, you need to know what misconduct is. Mm-hmm. That's first and foremost. You need to know what it is. And once you know what it is, then take it to the point where, you know what, have some accountability. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I was a defense rep, I had an officer and, and the problem is, is that, you know, culture, you know, this, the department's after me, this bullshit, I yeah. is doing this to me. And I'm like, okay, so w- what happened? Well, you know, uh, my taser, they got me for not having my taser on my duty belt <laughs> as an example. <laughs> Your right? fault. You know, okay. So let me look at policy. Well, Paul, you got to have it on your belt, yeah. bro. So how am I supposed to defend or even write a scaly response, right? To tell the captain that, dude, you should, I mean, okay. So maybe you came out of roll call and you went to the equipment room and you grabbed it and you put it on your, you know, I'm just giving you like a mitigating circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. It's in the car and next thing you know, 211 in progress, Yeah. you know, or shooting in progress. Okay, I can see that. But absent that, yeah, bro, if you don't have it on you, that's, that's, that's your fault. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's violation of policy, right? So you have neglected duty, your first prong, violation of department policy and procedure, that's your second prong, right? Any criminal offense, everybody knows that. Yeah. And last but not least is that Cuba, right? So if you do any of those four, you just need to be aware of that. Yeah. You know, so don't be so hard. Don't go and blame, you know, the department for something that you can just, and, and it's not bad. I mean, come on, you didn't yeah. have a taser on your belt. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make it a big deal. Yeah. Right. So then in, in part of our disciplinary process, we have what we call non-disciplinary yeah, know, that's what, type of yeah. an adjudication. You have disciplinary, mm-hmm. right? So you can always choose. And again, this is where character and reputation, you know, who you are, right? Comes into play. So it can be non-disciplinary. Actions could have been different. Hey, you know what, Mark? Next time when you are getting ready, just make sure your 
tasers on your own. I'm just giving you a, a certain example. So that's where that stigma comes in yeah. is that they think, you know, they, meaning the patrol officers more than anybody thinks that we're out to get you. Yeah. And I can tell you just from experience, you kind of got to work your ass off to make it to a border rights. Yeah. You really do. And more often than not, it's the off duty behavior because anything that happens pretty much on duty, there is a lot of leniency. Yeah. I, I can, I can tell you that from experience because if you really think about it, I mean, come on, if us three were board members, right. And you brought me a case of, I don't know, you went in pursuit, crazy pursuit. And there's some, you know, I don't know, maybe out of policy, use of force, whatever. Right. And for whatever reason in your command, and here's the problem with, you know, the politics and, and the process with LAPD is that you have a captain one and a captain three year division, right? Then you have a deputy chief and a commander at bureau. Then you have a deputy chief and a commander in internal affairs. And then you got to go to the temp floor and sell it to the chief. So that's, that's basically five levels of review. Yeah. And you would think there's concurrence. There's I see things start <laughs> from OR, which is your official reprimand, what we call paper penalty, and ended up at a board. And I've seen things that started at a BOR, at a Board of Rights, and ended up as an OR. Hmm. So well, what does that tell you? Well, the consistency is not there. And a neglected duty at Devonshire Division, where I you know, live in my beloved San Fernando Valley, is you know, paper penalty compared to a neglected duty at 77th Division. So there is no parity. Yeah. So what does that tell you? What that tells you is that at some point, unfortunately, it gets personal. Yeah. And egos get in the way. Yeah, for sure. And you know yeah. what? That is where we get the bad rap. And it, it's not just LAPD. That yeah, that's everywhere, for sure. In every agency. Yeah. And, and that's where I've committed myself. You know, part of my consulting is to be that meanie inspector general. So what I like to do is one of my services that I'm trying to launch is, look, I'm targeting small agencies and saying, look, before you make that decision, chief, why don't you give me that entire investigation? And I will pretty much review it and give you a full body analysis from beginning to end with a fine tooth comb. And I'm gonna tell you whether it's sustained or unfounded. If it's sustained, then I'll, I'm not telling you what to do, no. but from training experience, this is the kind of penalty you should render, right? And if it's unfounded, it's unfounded. Yeah. But the problem with small agencies, and I, I think about this all the time, is that you got that traffic stop of that police officer on body worn just starts going off, mm. right? And he's just, you know, dropping F-bombs, total, total disrespect, discourtesy the whole nine. But we're in a small agency and he's a great looking dude. Like my boy Kyle here has got the slick hair. Thanks. You know, with Metro, <laughs> you know, all looking good. Everybody loves him. Sergeants love him. Lieutenants love him. But the chief is like, you know what? Uh-uh. Th this is BS. You cannot be acting like that in my community mm -hmm. with these community members. It's small. I mean, how many people yeah. come out of town, right? I want to jam this guy up. I, I really want to do it. But now you have that lieutenant or the captain go, you know what, chief? It's Kyle. Yeah. You know what? Eh, let's just, Good old know, boys club. Let's just give him counsel. You know what? Just counsel him or just give him something, you know, yeah. put in his check. That happens. So, so that happens a lot. Yeah. Right. For sure. Then on the other side of the fence is what? Is that heavy, is what we call what? That badge heavy, horrible, nobody likes in the station, <laughs> always out there doing police work and he's just jamming people up, probably with no PC, just doing, making you look bad. You're annoying. Everybody knows it. You have a bad reputation and they do that same traffic stop, which is what? A discourtesy. And now- all the levels of command are looking at G's going, you know what? Yeah, let's bang This him. is it. This is the one where we're going, you know what? It's fire. Yeah. You know? Mm. So what happens is where is that fairness? Yeah. Where is that balance? And so for me, hey, just call Marlon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, I'm not the I big I don't disagree LAPD. with that. Like you a know? third party. I, I thought it's a good idea. It's like a third party kind of mini inspector general. Look, I'm your checks and balances. Yeah. Hey, I don't disagree with you know, it. You know, I'm independent. I have no dog in the fight. Yeah. I don't even know who you are. I don't even know who these people are. I've mm -hmm. never heard of Walnut Creek. I've never heard of, you know, Visalia or whatever, you know? Yeah. 
and, and, and here it is, you know? And so I think that's fair. I do. And we don't yeah. do it. My own agency doesn't do that. Yeah. And it, and it's always bothered me, you know, which is the reason why, you know, we're here yeah. today. So. Well, shoot, that was good discussion. I mean, yeah. I, I, I swear every episode we do with our guests, I'm like, man, I learned a lot from that. Like, so I know if I learned it, I hope you guys are learning something. Um, let's wrap it up with what you're doing now with uh, Savage Training Group and Scott and those guys. Um, and then this podcast show that you've got going on, plug all that stuff so we can, uh, so the viewers can Absolutely. find it. Absolutely. So uh, Scott gave me the opportunity, I believe it's October 24th out in, um, Oh gosh, or Livermore. Oh, okay. Never heard of it. Yeah. So I got to fly into Oakland and go to Livermore. Uh, it's an internal affairs course. We're going to talk about just what we had a discussion, right? From uh, the beginning to adjudication, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have some fun. I'm not going to bore you with PowerPoint, but I, but the good thing about these types of training that we do now is that we have a lot of body worn video. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you imagine when grabbing one of those first, you know, amendment auditor guys, you know, oh, when they go out there and yeah. try to get yeah. you all raveled up, yeah. right? We can talk about that. Hey, class, all right, let's yeah. watch it. You know, tell me, you tell me, hey, when you think it's misconduct or what? You know, we'll have, we'll flush all those details out. So that's coming up. I really appreciate that from a Savage Training Group. And last but not least, this is podcast. So we were talking earlier. I honestly, all I wanted to do is that I, I bought a mic with an arm. I bought a light and I bought this bitch in two in one table. And all I wanted to do was just break down body. I, uh, OISs. That's all I wanted to do, just to kind of share my experience and say, hey, you know what? This is what a cop kind of goes through. Just have an understanding and awareness of what happens. Uh, to cut down on the uh, on the details, it became a full brown production. Right? Yeah. Um, this production uh, is got you know everything. Editors, engineers. I mean, we're doing it so right, but we're doing it for all the right reasons. You're gonna hear stories powerful stories of officers that were involved in an OIS and they're going to tell you, yeah, they're going to tell you what happened, mm -hmm. right? What led up to at the time that you pulled the hammer, but what they're going to tell you a lot is it's that post OIS. Mm -hmm. They're going to tell you how this affected you, how it affected your family, what emotions you go through. What did you talk about with the psychologist? You know, um, what did your family think about this? Right. What was the process like? How were you treated? Yeah. You know, what do people think of you now? You know, now that you had a chance to reflect, I'm sure you haven't talked in this detail about, you know, what you went through 15 years ago or 10 years ago, whatever. Right. right? Yeah. So all that stories from the guests that are coming in is just so valuable. It's unmeasurable. There, you can't put a, you can't put a value to it. So I just felt that we've never really have done a good job even my own uh, beloved LAPD, we don't, we don't. We have that community briefing video that you see, uh, you know, uh, at the 45 day mark, you know, back in 2017, we say, hey, we, we, we got to tell the community. Yeah. Which we do a good job and not just us, all agencies. Everyone's do. doing it now. Everybody does. Yeah. It. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but the problem is, is that what happens afterwards? Yeah. That sounds People like don't know. Great, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank so you. when, did, so when does it come out? What is it called? So and how do they find it? So it's details, D, D slash tails, T-A-I-L-S, the breakdown. It's on YouTube. Uh, look it up. You can look me up at um, on LinkedIn. It's probably the best way, right? Uh, it's, um, uh, I think it's Marlon Marachi. You just look me up and you, you'll see me there. Once we do 12 episodes, we're going to wrap it up as a deck and present it uh, to some networks and, you know, hopefully someone will like it and, uh, and we'll go from there. So yeah. we got to kind of hang on a little bit. I'm so anxious to get it out. So excited about this project. And it's just a really, really good thing. And that's, that's, that's pretty it, man. Thank you for having me, man. This is, yeah, this is awesome. Great. No, thank you for driving up here and, and making the appearance. We yeah. really do appreciate it. Yeah. You know what? I saw your podcast. I said, you know, I even told Scott, I said, Hey man, you got to hook me up with Mark and Kyle, man. I, I, <laughs> I love the, the intro, all the, yeah. all the graphics. I'm like, Oh dude, this is awesome. I, I, I think I even offered, Hey, I'll go there. I'll go to, yeah, you did. You offered Give to me come a ride on. along yeah. and yeah. then we'll go to your studio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been nice. It's no, been for sure. Fun. Thank you for, for all the knowledge. I mean, I, and, and again, I hope everyone watching this or listening got, got uh, something out of that. And if you have questions, can someone hit you up and 
Yes. Pick absolutely. your brain. Absolutely. Yeah. You got all my info. I'll give you everything that you can link up and by all means, get a hold of me. I would unless you're unless you're in an IA and you're trying to get out of it, don't yeah. call Marvin. Yeah, or if you're an IA and you want to ask some questions, you know, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. You know what yeah. we'll do? We uh, we just launched our shotsfiredpodcast.org website. What we'll do is we'll start putting our guests' contact information on our website so they can go directly to our website and then link and jump right to you. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I'll send you the flyer too. Maybe, you know, there's still time to, yeah, right uh, to attend that class. Yeah, so uh, where is it? It's going to be in Livermore. It's in Livermore, yeah. So if you guys are in the Bay Area, uh, Northern California area, Livermore, Scott Savage is putting on your class. So yeah. get signed up for it. I know you can go to savagetraininggroup.com um, where he has all his classes and you guys can get registered. Um, please make sure we just, as Mark mentioned, we did launch our new website, uh, which is shotsfiredpodcast.org. A ton of you have asked to buy shirts and sweaters and all sorts of swag. So we do have all that stuff on there. Now you guys can buy it. we got some cool new designs on our uh, hoodies. Um, jump on there. Shotsfiredpodcast.org. Help support the cause. Get yourself a cool sweater or t-shirt. And we'll see you guys on the next one. Thank you. Hey, we're out of shot fired. Copy additional shot fired. Shot fired. Shot fired. Shooting at us. Shooting at officers.